0: Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. October has unfortunately passed by too quickly. And as usual, not enough people got to see me in my scariest costume. No, not that one. That's better. This month, our subreddit r darkness got tons of new stories. So today, I'm going to read you the finalists, the scariest stories you guys sent this month. Well, the ones over 500 words. As you listen to these stories, please click the link in the description to your favorite story and upvote it. At the end of the day, I'll send messages to all these authors with their prizes according to how many votes they got. If you want to be a part of our next contest for November, just type up your story nice and clear and over 500 words and submit it at reddit.com r slash darkness prevails. Now, let's look into our most popular nightmares. Number one, I saw something in the ravine, submitted by train to myers Before I tell you exactly what I witnessed, I want to make a few things very clear. I live in an urban center with a fairly high population with a network of ravines throughout. There are all kinds of animals there, skunks, raccoons, moles, squirrels, and even coyotes. These animals and more are easy to see if you spend a little time in those ravines, but nothing compares to what I've seen. It started with the missing posters. Whenever I'd take my dog for a walk, I would see missing cat posters. I would see more each time I went out. Every day I'd see the faces of lost cats plastered on every telephone pole I walked past. It was strange and eerie how many there were. It seemed like every day a few more cats would go missing. You'd have more crying kids, more worry in the community, and more missing posters. When my neighbor's cat went missing, it was such a problem it became a local news story. Among the distraught former cat owners that were interviewed, there was my neighbor. She and I both had houses that backed into the ravine. You could walk directly into the ravine from our backyards. Around 10 p.m., my neighbor let her cat out of the house to do her business. She says that after only a minute of her cat walking around, doing her business in the backyard, a low growl and the sound of the cat in distress was heard, coming from the pitch black of the dark yard. She grabbed a flashlight and ran out, only to discover blood drying in the dirt. It led into the ravine, and it was accompanied by strange tracks, tracks that everyone assumed were from coyotes Everyone's assumption was confirmed when a local woman went downstairs in the middle of the night to grab some food. She looked through the glass back door to see four yellow eyes staring back at her, two coyotes. Even still, the volume at which cats were disappearing was surprisingly growing every night. Most people kept a strict eye on their pets around that time, like they should have. One night, I was sitting in a chair on my back porch. It was really late, and I was letting my dog out for a walk. There's a chain-link fence separating my backyard from the ravine with a gate. The hairs on the back of my neck suddenly stood up, and even though I hadn't seen or heard anything, I felt that something was there. I sensed it, and then I saw them. Two yellow eyes, like the ones the lady saw behind the fence, and they were staring directly at me. Two more emerged from the ravine, finding their place next to the first pair. Then I heard a low growl, loud enough to be heard from my place on the porch, and that's when I saw a third set of eyes. Their color was different from the yellowish coloring of the other two, and I saw that they possessed a more orange color. The thing was impossibly tall, It must have stood at about nine feet, towering over my fence. My dog barked and began to whimper, tail between its legs, as it ran to the back door and began to paw and scratch on it, begging to be let back inside. I ran in with my dog, and I barely got any sleep that night. What in the world was that thing? Pretty soon, and to my discomfort, Someone's bloodhound went missing like the rest of the cats. It was the first dog disappearance. So many people were surprised and worried. I figured there must have been multiple coyotes hunting their prey at once. I thought that the poor bloodhound probably put up a good fight. And this brings me to what I personally experienced. My encounter happened in broad daylight. I was walking my Australian shepherd and it started like any other walk. We were walking down to the ravine, entering right from my backyard where I'd seen those eyes the previous night. My dog was walking at a moderate pace, sniffing everything in his path per usual and perking up when he saw a squirrel. He's an energetic dog, so he requires pretty long and frequent walks, and I always thought my best option around here were the ravines. I grew to know the place well enough, having come down here to walk so often. I wasn't too concerned about the whole coyote problem, and I knew a coyote wouldn't attack my dog when I'm with him. I've heard coyotes are skittish. At some point on our walk, maybe a mile or two, he stopped. My dog just completely froze, and he stopped sniffing around. For a full minute, he just stood completely still, then he sat down. I didn't tell him to sit or anything, He just sat down on his own. I tugged at his lead, but that received no response. Then I heard the sound of a stick cracking nearby, somewhere ahead of us, and that's when he began to whimper. Whatever he was afraid of was just up ahead, just around the corner. I was kind of curious as to what it was, so I tried going forward. I finally pulled on the leash hard enough for him to follow me, and off we went around the corner. I walked slowly, carefully, making sure I didn't make too much noise. My dog was right behind me, hiding behind my legs as we walked. As my hiking boots became caked with mud as I was walking by the stream, I noticed the smell. The farther I got around the turn, the more putrid the stench was, It was like rotting meat mixed with wet dog with a slight metallic ring to it. As I got halfway around the turn, I saw the cat. It lay in the mud, causing its white fur to become a dirty brown. It was clearly decaying. It looked to have been there for several days and it looked to have been partially eaten. Flies buzzed around the carcass, causing the whole experience of finding this dead pet to be increasingly dreadful. Then I heard a growl nearby and the sound of ripping and tearing, with a bit of crunching adding to the disgusting sounds. I kept walking and finished the turn, and I finally got a good look at the source of the noise and the reason for the dead cat. It led to a more open space with trees along the side of it and a large tree right in the center I saw a coyote near the middle tree eating something lying on the ground. The fur on its face was matted with blood, and each time it raised its head, blood dripped from its maw. There was a second coyote pacing around the open space, holding a cat in its mouth. From the branches of the middle tree, cats hung from ropes. Their collar tags glinted in the sunlight. Their limbs dangled weakly from their deteriorating bodies. Then I saw a creature, unlike anything I've ever seen before. It was standing at the side of this area. It was covered in black fur, with gray spots on its chin. It stood at what I could only assume to be nine feet tall, and this terrified me the most. It had shortish legs compared to the rest of its body, and its arms were very long, and the thing had hands. They looked similar to claws, but they obviously possessed the capabilities of human hands, and it stood upright like a human. Its ears looked like those of a German shepherd's. Its snout was long, and its mouth stretched into a mocking sneer. The thing grunted and stomped its foot to the ground, and the second coyote stopped pacing. It walked over to the thing and sat right in front of it, staring intently up at the creature. The dog-like creature bent down, picking up a long stick. The coyote continued to stare, not breaking its focus. The creature then snapped the stick into two and made a quick growling sound. The coyote dropped the cat it had in its mouth and trotted off into the distance. The beast had just told the coyote to do something. It was like it had trained it. My dog was still whimpering softly behind me. And after I saw this, my mouth hung wide open and I was truly disturbed. I snapped out of my trance and my dog and I ran off in the direction of my house. We ran at a record-breaking speed. This freakishly tall dog, Thing, had coyotes doing its bidding. It had trained them to do commands and that scares me. I don't know what it was, but I do know one thing for sure. There's something in the ravine and I don't know what it will do next. Number two, always check the doors, submitted by Mr. Ace 44. It was 2011 and I started my new security post in the insurance district of Hartford That area has its share of old historic buildings and my building was no exception. It was an early 1900s mansion that was converted into offices inside. When I say converted, I mean it was really just desks placed in some of the old rooms. Around one in the morning, I grabbed my flashlight and began my first round, albeit a little bit nervous as I had heard your classic ghost stories from the rest of the guards. As I came to the top of the main staircase, the extremely dim lighting did nothing to help calm down my nerves. Door by door, I walked down, checking to make sure they were all locked. This isn't so bad. I'm already almost done with this round, I reassured myself, but still my confidence was fading fast. All seemed to be going well though, until I got about halfway down the hall. A door on the right side was open. As I walked over and glanced in, my heart sank, and I began to sweat out of control. Is this real, I wondered. Sitting dead center in the room was a child. They were no more than six years old, and they were playing with toys in the dark. I continued fast-paced down the hall. Am I going insane? No, the stories are just... Getting with me, I tried to tell myself. I tried to shake it off, that I still needed to go back and close that door. I walked back slowly, trying to laugh it off. But when I came back, my heart seemed to stop this time. The boy was still there. I was lost for words. This situation made no sense, but I finally managed to mutter something. Hello, came out of my trembling lips. The child turned around and nervously asked, have you seen my mother? As calmly as I could, I grabbed the child by the hand, trying to comfort him, and I brought him downstairs to the security desk and I called the police. The child didn't say much and he didn't seem too concerned. The police arrived in a few minutes Turns out his mother works at the office and had brought him in to work that day and just forgot about him. It baffles my mind how a parent could go five hours not realizing they left their child alone somewhere. I continued working there for a few months and eventually got a transfer to a new post. At the end of the day, I'm happy everything turned out fine and I'm most thankful that it wasn't actually a ghost. Number three, Disappearing Children at Dunn's Swamp, submitted by Chips Nipple While this isn't a particularly scary or frightening story, it's one of the most strange, disturbing, and unexplainable experiences I can recall. Now for a bit of background, this event happened during April in 2016. I live in Australia and I attended a university in Canberra. During a mid-semester break, I went on a road trip with two of my friends. Let's call them Ness and Mike. We were going to visit Ness's house in a place called Kandos. Kandos is in a pretty remote area, maybe two hours from Katoomba in the Blue Mountains and an hour and a half from Bathurst. There isn't much to do there, but the scenery is beautiful with tall buttes, mesas, and plateaus, and thick Australian bushland. If you've ever been to Australia or lived there, you will know what I'm talking about. It's the kind of wilderness that you could take five steps into and be lost in a screen of undergrowth. Anyway, there wasn't much to do at Kandos, so we mostly just hung out around Nessa's house or visited her grandparents, who were very lovely people. Three days into our week-long trip, Ness decided to take Mike and I out to a remote camping ground called Dun Swamp, or Ganguri, as it is known to local indigenous people. It was an hour's drive from Kondos, heading into the mountainous region. I was excited. I love hiking and bushwalking, especially in the areas with lots of history, and Dun Swamp had that in spades. There were still many caves and rock shelters where indigenous rock art can be found, and as a heritage student specializing in cave art, it was right up my alley. The drive there was great, heading down old dirt roads and fire trails. The scenery was so picturesque. We arrived at Dun Swamp. It's a large water reservoir made by damming and flooding an old river course. It's supplied water for condos, but also had a large campground. When we got there, there were a few trailers and a canoe hire, but no large coaches or school buses. This is an important detail for later. So we get there and have lunch, then we begin to do some exploring around the campground, mainly climbing huge boulders and trying to find lyrebirds. Yes, we're really 21-year-old adults. Later on, we decide to go see the dam wall, This is another 90-minute trek along the edge of the water reservoir through very difficult terrain, including vertical climbs up cliff faces, via ladders, and over slippery slopes. It was difficult for three fairly fit adults. Once you reached the far end of the reservoir, you were standing on top of a plateau. The trail along this part of the hike was perilously close to the cliff edge. It was pretty amazing, but there was an eerie stillness to the landscape It was windy and overcast when we got to the top of the plateau. It felt like the bush was holding its breath, and at one point, I found myself doing the same. If you've ever spent time in the remote Australian bush, you know what I'm talking about. By then, we could hardly pick up the dirt trail, as leaf litter and branches had all but obscured it we ended up going off the trail and skirting through knee-deep leaf litter until we finally found the trail again. So after hearing me describe this rather difficult terrain, you can imagine my absolute surprise when a group of 20 school children, all in uniform, were at the dam wall with who I believe were their teachers. Right away, it struck me as strange. What were these kids doing all the way out here and how would they have gotten so far? None of them could have been older than nine, and it was like they appeared out of thin air. Now, you may be thinking they took the trail or got to the dam another way, but remember, the terrain of the trail was quite extreme, and there was no other way to reach the dam, but it would only get weirder. Ness and Mike didn't even seem to acknowledge that the children were there, but how could they not? The kids took up most of the trail, As the children walked further down the trail, which now followed the stream that flowed further into the forest from the dam, they passed the three of us. Ness and Mike did move out of the way, but they didn't even look in their direction. I started getting this eerie feeling, like I was looking at something that just shouldn't have been there. I smiled at one of the teachers as they passed, but she didn't smile back. She didn't even look at me. What was going on? We stayed around the dam for a while and then headed further down the trail in the same direction the school group had gone. As we walked, I caught a few glimpses of them through the trees. They were maybe 800 meters in front of us. After maybe 10 minutes, we decided to sit by the stream. We stayed there for about another 10 minutes and the whole time I couldn't stop thinking about the strange experience. I even asked my friends if they had noticed anything weird, anything odd about that school group, but they just brushed it off and changed the subject immediately. If I thought this was weird, it was about to get even weirder. We set off on the trail again, which looped back to the plateau above the dam wall. This is about a 45 minute walk uphill. The further we got along the trail, the more abandoned it seemed. There were no tracks, only a few animal tracks in the mud. There was even a fallen tree, like a full-sized 50-year-old gum tree across the path. We had trouble getting around it, so how on earth did the children manage so well? At this point, I had no idea where they had gone. I was actually quite worried. This whole situation screamed unnatural to me. I was distracted on our way back to the campsite constantly trying to find those children again. But I didn't see one sign of them, not a sound, no footprints on the trail, and most importantly, no school group getting on a bus. There was no way those kids could have left the campground without us seeing them. I was afraid they had been taken into the forest or something along those lines. It was all just so strange the children in an isolated and remote area, the strange reaction of my friends and the teacher. I was honestly disturbed by this for the rest of the trip. I just couldn't find a logical explanation for where those children had gone. They'd vanished into thin air. After a bit of research, I have to conclude that either I experienced a paranormal event or some sort of glitch in time or space. But here's the kicker. A few weeks after our trip, I asked Ness and Mike if they remembered the school group at Dun Swamp. They had no memory of any kids hanging out there that day. In fact, they said that it had just been us, that there had been no one else on the trail. There's something strange happening at Dun Swamp. Maybe it's in the water, or maybe it's the land itself. All I know is I experienced something something unnatural that day. Number four, The Maine Hunting Trip, submitted by M.A. Woodsman. It rained here yesterday, and I couldn't help but be reminded of the events that took place two years ago. I go deer hunting in Maine every chance I get, and decided to spend a few days out. You may find it odd, but I've always been the type that writes in a journal, especially on hunting trips, to keep my memory safe from the years of deterioration. Here's what I wrote of this experience. October 1st, 2015. It feels good to get away from the house for a while. Been too busy for too long. Now I can do things at my own pace, I spotted a few deer tracks near the creek early in the morning. They seemed a little dry, so they're probably not too fresh. I'll just keep moving to my campsite. The shelter's still up, in surprisingly good condition too. I built it months ago in preparation for the hunting season, and it seems to only need some minor work. Supper consisted of rice with onions and jalapenos with a nice piece of chicken breast cooked on the fire. Absolutely delicious. Nothing much happened today as I was just settling in, but that's okay. Tomorrow will be a long day for sure. Lots of scouting around. We'll write tomorrow. October 2nd of 2015. It got really cold last night. Luckily, I was prepared. My wool blanket was adequate. I heard something scurrying around the camp last night at random times. Maybe a raccoon looking for some scraps. I'm not a messy eater, and I don't drop anything or leave anything out. The sky's turning a dark blue now, and I better get moving. It was oddly quiet today. No birds, chipmunks, or squirrels running around. Which was odd. Maybe they sensed some bad weather coming in. Without much luck, I decided to head back as the shadows began to get long. That spot was comfortable, but I pretty much saw nothing. I won't be back there tomorrow. I made it back to camp, and I'm about to cook some supper. I'll keep it simple tonight. I've been chewing on beef jerky all day, so I'm not starving. Just a simple biscuit and rice with a cup of peppermint tea. Nothing too fancy. Time for bed. We'll write tomorrow. October 3rd, 2015. I heard a strange sound last night, kind of reminded me of a big bass drum. I figured a tree must have fallen down, but the wind doesn't seem strong enough to do that. I'm at a new spot today. Saw a deer walk by, but his antlers were barely there, and he wasn't even in my bow range. But I knew something would come by, I just had to wait. A few hours passed by, I'm not exactly sure how long exactly, It's later in the day, but still plenty light out. I smell smoke. Other hunters are probably scaring away my deer. I doubt it, but it's still something to think about. In fact, I saw someone in the distance today. He didn't seem to notice me, though. I'm wearing greens and browns, as usual. Otherwise, I'm scared he would have come up to talk to me, and I don't really like to be bothered. I only saw that one deer today, Clouds are getting dark and wind's picking up. I better head back to camp. When I got back to camp, I saw the wood pile was dwindling, so I had to go get more, and it was just starting to get dark. I walked a little too far, stupid me. I had a good armful of wood, though. Luckily, I knew where camp was, and that could have been pretty bad if I got lost out here. But again, I heard that loud bass sound more than once this time, I'll have to check it out in the morning. October 4th, 2015. It started raining last night. Great. Nothing too heavy, but certainly enough to make me and any wood I might need wet. I was so tired when I got back I forgot to eat. I'm going to make up for that right now. Oatmeal with apples and cinnamon and beef jerky and tea. Mmm, sounds good. I'm going to see if I can find where that noise was coming from. We'll ride again soon if I find anything. There seems to be a big tarp of some kind hanging upon a tree. I wouldn't have noticed it if it wasn't for the wind whipping it around. There were lots of holes in it, probably old. I saw what might have been the same person again far off, but this time I think he saw me. Actually, now that I think of it, I know he saw me. Why else would he be facing my direction like that? It really creeped me out, to be honest, so I just walked away. The guy didn't even wave at me like hunters sometimes do, and I wonder if he was hearing the noises I've been hearing as well. Nothing too interesting today. Gonna eat and go to bed. We'll write soon. God, that same noise woke me up. This is irritating. It's not even morning yet. I'll just try to go back to sleep. Okay, something's up. I I just heard someone screaming like a freaking Apache warrior. I don't think I'm going to be able to fall asleep after that. I'm kind of spooked. Got my knife and tomahawk next to me, and my bow is strung and waiting for danger. Think I'm going to leave tomorrow. Screw this. Before I get to the next entry, I want to explain something. I didn't leave then and there because I didn't have a flashlight with me and it was raining very heavily at the time so it would have been dumb to but now looking back on it, it was dumb to stay. October 5th, 2015. I spent hours awake last night. I may have overreacted but that noise, it was terrifying. I haven't left the shelter yet and I'm too scared to go outside I have to go to the bathroom but I don't want to go out there okay I can't hold it anymore my bladder is about to erupt oh god I found a knife stuck in the tree right next to my shelter I don't think I overreacted at all I'm out of here that was the last of my journal entries that's not where the story ends I started packing my things up when I noticed that the guy was there again I knew he was up to no good the second I saw him why else would he be staring at me why else would there be a knife in the tree I just ran a lot of my stuff got left behind too but luckily I had my knife and tomahawk with me my journal was stuffed in my bag and some of the pages got crinkled Anyways, I ran and ran. My lungs surely were going to collapse at one point if I didn't stop. I fell to the ground gasping and panting like a dog. I didn't know where to run to. I just kept moving as fast and silently as possible. Unfortunately, it was getting dark and either I can run around in the dark like a chicken with its head cut off or I could sit up against a tree and wait for morning. Either choice could be equally dangerous but I'd rather not have a broken ankle and have to fight a crazy person in the woods. So my choice was made. I was going to sit against that tree. I wish I could say nothing happened, but that's not how these stories seem to end. I smelled smoke at this point. Very, very, very pungent. It smelled of burning tires and meat. It was disgusting. I could hear chanting of some sort in the distance and that sound, the sound I'd been hearing, it was more intense than it has been during the whole trip. It sounded like someone was slamming a sledgehammer into it, some sort of drum with a quicker pace than ever. I knew I couldn't just stick around here. I stood up slowly and began to sneak away, but then I heard someone walking around. I saw the beam of a flashlight and I knew I was screwed. He wasn't too far from me at that point, which scared me, because I hadn't seen or heard him until he got too close. He must have knew I was there. He must have been following me. So I started to walk away, and then all of a sudden, snap, I stepped on a brittle twig. I knew that he knew I was there now, and he let out that same call I'd heard before, that war cry sound. Then all of a sudden, I heard multiple men making the same noise. Of course I ran. There was no hiding at this point. I could hear at least 10 other men following me. At this point, I accepted what I knew was coming. Death. I knew it was the end. I knew there was nothing to be done. It sounded like 10 to 1. And who knew what weapons they had? Guns, knives, I didn't want to know. And they were catching up to me fast. The ground was just too muddy. As I was running, I noticed that I was very close to a steep hill, and I mean dangerously close. I slipped down the hill, flipping and sliding for what seemed like forever. I must have passed out for some time, because when I woke up, the sky was turning that dark bluish that indicates that morning is near. And thank God, nothing was broken. I still don't know how, Then again, my tomahawk was missing, but my knife was still on my belt. I stood up, bruised and sore. Why hadn't they killed me? How did I survive this? Maybe they were just chasing me away. To this day, I still don't know. There was a trail about a 100 yards away. I'm glad I found it, because I knew I would be able to make it out of there. I just didn't know how long it would take. I followed that trail for a few hours. Probably would have been quicker had I not fallen down that hill. Anyway, I kept walking and I eventually made it to a parking lot. There was a father and son there taking their fishing rods out of the bed of a pickup. They stared at me like some sort of creature. The dad said I looked like hell. I'm sure anyone if they went through that would have. I looked at my reflection in the window of the truck and was shocked. He asked me if I needed a ride, and I of course said yes. I asked them to take me to the nearest hospital. The rest of the story isn't too important from there. I got help and made it home all right, and I tried to forget about the experience after that, but it will always be in my mind. I can manage to forget about it only sometimes, but I still remember. I just hope no one has to go through something like that. And number five, my aunt worked with a serial killer. Submitted by Bubba Dat Bad Boy. I'm autistic, and so some things make me upset, but most of them aren't the casual things that someone with autism gets upset over. For example, I like scary stuff, watching news, etc., but I hate loud noises, and sometimes being touched and sometimes smells make me upset. I live in Kansas, and this story takes place from my aunt's point of view. In fact, this story shocked the entire state of Kansas. You see, my aunt worked with what she thought was a very nice man. His name was Dennis. He was the kind of guy that didn't give you the creeps and was very charismatic. It seemed like you could trust him. He lived in Park City, Kansas, not too far from my old house that was in the small town of Keechee, Kansas. He worked on house alarms with my aunt. There was a much darker side to Dennis, a side which no one, not even my family, who was close to him, knew about. In the 1970s and 80s, there was a series of murders going throughout the state. One of the victims was a family who I think was murdered in their own house, while the other murders were women, and can you guess who it turned out to be? Yep, it was Dennis, but they weren't able to find out who it really was, so Dennis remained anonymous. Then in the 1990s, he tried to make his return, killing more women, but his homicides began to get messy. Soon, the investigators found the evidence they needed to arrest him. One piece of evidence was his computer, Now, I'm not sure what kind of evidence led to him being a suspect, but at one point, they got a warrant to seize his computer, and what they found there was not very pleasant. Now, I told you I'm autistic for a very good reason. Under U.S. law, anybody with special needs or lacking of any skill has to take a special ed program at school where it's easier for you to learn about things. There are assistants in those classes known as paras, One parent of mine told me that Dennis was the pastor of her church and that her brother stayed over at his house a few times. Another friend of mine told me that one of his neighbors was at her apartment, so I think. And while she was there, Dennis came to the door and asked, is this your pet? He laid down a cat or a dog, I don't remember which, but it was definitely not their animal. I think he was just trying to find another victim Then on August 18th, 2005, he was sentenced to 10 life sentences and was convicted of murder. That happened 17 days after my third birthday as I was born in 2002. And luckily now he's in a maximum security prison in El Dorado, Kansas. Look him up. His name is Dennis Rader. Some of you might recognize him from his other name, the BTK Killer. There you have it, the top five finalists for scariest true stories of October. Check the description to vote for the story you like the most. And if you want to be a part of November's contest, just send your story at reddit.com r slash darkness prevails. Winners get gift cards and a guaranteed reading of their story on this channel. Now stay safe out there and stay creepy. This is the story of the one.